Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Just for any of you who don't know, my name is Dustin Saunders, um, and I'm the pastoral intern here. I've been here for, I don't know, two months or so, and it's a privilege to get to share with you from God's Word this morning. Like I said, as Rob is uh, with family in Illinois. I really didn't know that I was going to be, you know, doing everything. Uh, Rob and Randy just kind of took off and said, oh, okay guys, have fun. So, (laughs) thanks for bearing with me. I've never, I've never done this before. But, uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I was watching a clip this week uh, from, from a sermon from this pastor. And, and he was kind of uh, not making fun, but he was talking about how a lot of worship songs these days talk about, talk about our feelings or, or things like that. And he said, he said, you know, he came into this church and the, the, worship, the first thing the worship leader says was, hey guys, how do you feel today? He said, how do I feel? He said, actually, I feel horrible. He said, I don't, I don't care about how I feel. He said, tell me what I know. Tell me what you know. Tell me what the truth is. Tell me what God's word says. And so that's, that's what I'm here to do this morning. I'm not here to tell you how I feel or what I think. I'm here to tell you what God's word says and what the truth is. And so with that, uh, we're continuing on. Um, for those of you who this is your first time with us, we're in a series on Genesis right now. We're kind of trying to go on a big picture view through Genesis, and right now, this morning, we're going to be in Genesis 15 and 16. We're going to go through Genesis 15, and I'm going to be kind of alluding to Genesis 16. We're not going to really dive into that. Uh, We're not going to have time. So to go ahead and turn to Genesis 15, but before we read through the text, uh, I wanted to kind of do a recap of, of Abram. You know, who is this Abram character that we're going to be hearing about? Remember, he's not Abraham yet. We're going to hear about that next week in chapter 17. That's when the Lord will change his name to Abraham. Right now he's still Abram. And the the reason why I want to do this review is because chapter 15 includes what some scholars say is the most important event in Abraham's life and one of the most important events in all of Scripture. And so since it's been a couple of weeks since we've we've been in in our text in Genesis, uh, let's do a quick review of his life. Who is Abraham? Where did he come from? Um, who were his relatives. So the first thing we know that, about Abraham was that he, he was a distant descendant of Noah. I mean, technically, we're all distant descendants of Noah, him a little bit closer than us, of course. Abram grew up in Haran with his father, Terah, and Abram and his family were idol worshipers. We learn this, the book of Joshua tells this. Um, in other words, he worshipped false gods. He was a pagan. Despite this, God even in the midst of this, God called Abram out of his idol-worshipping family and told him to venture out into a distant land. Notice that God did not wait till Abraham had stopped worshipping idols to call him, but yet he called him in the midst of his idol worship. God promised him then that he would make Abram into a great nation. He also promised that through Abram, all the world would be blessed. One way to look at that promise in Genesis 12 is that everything leading up to Genesis 12 is leading up to that promise, and the entire Bible after Genesis 12 is explaining how it came to be. 
See, even Genesis 12, he's talk, God's talking about Jesus. He's promising that through him, one offspring would bless the entire world. Jesus tells us that Abraham looked and saw Jesus' day and rejoiced. And so Abram followed faithfully, building altars and praising the Lord throughout his journey. But it wasn't all pleasant experiences. He traveled into Egypt at one point where he lied, if you remember, about his wife Sarah. He told Pharaoh that she was his sister so that he would not come under any harm. He lied about his wife so that he could save his own skin, giving her up to the Pharaoh. And yet, even in this, the Lord blessed him. Sounds strange, but... By the grace of God, when he came out of Egypt, he actually acquired riches because of the beauty of his wife, whom Pharaoh thought was his sister. See, God can even use our failings to bless us. But after being kicked out of Egypt for his dishonesty, Abram and his nephew Lot traveled through the desert and finally settled in Canaan, what would later be known as the land of Israel. In Canaan, Abram and Lot realized that the Lord could not sustain their large flocks. They were very wealthy. And so they knew they had to separate Abram, being the head of the family, and trusting God, God's promises, let Lot, his nephew, choose the better land, and he himself took the land that was not as good. Here God continued to emphasize his promise by telling Abram that his children would be as many as the dust of the earth, the sands of the desert. Keep that in mind because uh, we're going to come back to it later. It's going to be important. And again, Abram built an altar to the Lord and worshipped his Lord Yahweh, in his new home. But of course, all was not settled. For at this point, a war came upon the land in which Lot was dwelling, and he and his family were swept up into it, being taken captive by the conquering armies. When Abram heard this, he immediately left the comfort of his home with 318 of his soldiers. Don't you love that? The Bible tells us there's 318 of them. You just got to love how specific it is. So he left home with 318 of his own soldiers and rescued Lot along with his family and all of his possessions. After defeating the invading armies, instead of taking all the spoils of war, which were rightfully his, all the money and possessions and slaves in that time that would have been his, being the victor, he gave it up. He gave them all up to the king of Sodom. He told the king of Sodom, I don't want these God has promised to make me great, and I don't want anything else to come in the way of that. When I become great, it will be clear that God is the one who did it, not a man. You see, he knew God had promised to take care of him, and he wanted people to see that. He trusted God's promise that he would become a great nation, and he trusted God to do it. Not any nation, not any man or any king. And so that's where we are in our story. Abram has just defeated the invading armies and returned home with nothing to show for it. Except one thing, God's promises. Abram has gone all in on God's promises, as we will see. He's committed to trusting God. He's left his home for the unknown. He's gone against armies that were much larger than his. He's given up the land that was his. See, his faith is far from perfect, though, as we have seen. He lied about his sister, giving her or his wife, telling Pharaoh he was his sister, giving, giving her up. You see, this is not a story of a righteous man and the good things he did and how you need to be like him. Do more good things. Be more like Abraham. No. This is actually a story of a very imperfect man with an imperfect faith. 
It's a story about how despite his sin and despite his imperfections, God looked on him and counted him righteous. Why? Well, that's what we're going to find out today. Read with me in Genesis 15, verse 1 as we begin. It says this, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. This is God speaking. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Or some translations say, your very great reward. You see, after these things, tells us that this is taking place right after everything we heard about in chapter 14, all the wars and Abram's victory. Abram has just passed up on a lot of money. He's more than likely stirred up a hornet's nest by chasing down invading armies and defeating them. By the way, he defeated the armies of four kings. It's not exactly the uh, plans of diplomacy that most people would, would take into account. But listen to how the Lord comforts him. God does not leave him to deal with these things on his own. No. God comes to him in his hour of need and says, Fear not, Abraham. Do not be afraid, Abraham. Abram, I am your shield and your very great reward. You hear the tenderness in that statement. Fear not, Abram. Fear not. It's the sound of a father comforting his child. Fear not, son. I will protect you. For what else does a shield do? A shield takes the force of an attack. God is saying to Abram, I stand between you and anyone who wishes to harm you. Anything that comes against you has to come through me first. Is there anyone or anything who can say that and actually have the power to accomplish this other than God? Definitely not. But brothers and sisters, if you have placed your faith in Christ as Abram had, God has the same message for you. Now, he was not your shield in the sense that nothing bad will ever happen to you. No. God is your shield in the sense of Romans 8.28, which says this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Believer in Christ, know this. Be sure of this. God is your shield, and God is your very great reward. Some of you need to hear that this morning. Trust that even in the storms of life, God is your shield and your great reward. Nothing that comes into your life, nothing that comes against you has done so without going through God first. He is in control, and He is good, and He is love. Trusting anyone or anything else is useless. Hear the voice of the Lord to you this morning in this, saying to you, I am your shield and your very great reward. Let's continue on to hear how Abram responds to this. 15.2 says this, But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will, will be my heir, so someone who's not his son. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven." And number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteous. Now remember, at this point, Abram is about 75. And God's saying, No, don't worry, I will, I'll bring you a child. But don't be confused by Abram's response. You see, he's not, he's not disrespecting or doubting God here. 
The way he addresses God proves that. For he says, O Lord God. See, it's a term of submission, of acknowledgement of authority. He's not doubting, but he does have some questions. He's a little bit confused. He's almost 75. He says, Lord, I I understand the promise, and I trust you, but I don't understand what's going on right now. I I don't see how it's going to happen. Can you help me see? I don't have any children. How will I become a nation? We know that he's not disrespecting God, but, but is asking in full faith because of how God responds to him. God is gentle and reassures him. You see, it's okay to talk to God this way. It's okay to talk to God honestly. In fact, I would say it's necessary. We can't hide from God in prayer. I think a lot of times that's what we try to do. We come to God in prayer acting like we, he doesn't know our sins, acting like he doesn't know our struggles, trying to be a good little boy or a good little girl in our prayer time. But you see, that's just a recipe for a boring prayer life. That's a recipe for ineffective prayer life. Prayer is a place to be open and honest with the Lord, just like Abram here. He says, Lord, I, I understand your promise, but I, 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 I'm kind of confused. What's going on? If you need more examples of prayer like this, just read the Psalms. They're messy, honest, emotional prayers, crying out to God. My prayer is that we would learn as a church to be honest with God in prayer like this. May we learn to speak to God in this way. See, I believe God is calling all of us to come to this level of prayer, a level of comfortability, a level of faith, a level of trust, that trust God enough to be open with him, that trust God enough to know that he's on our side, that he is our shield and our great reward, and that we can come to him with our worries and cares. Listen to how God responds to Abram's honesty. He reassures him. He doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't say, oh, ye of little faith, what are you doing? No, he reassures him that his very own son will be his heir. Even though he is old. I mean, in our, you know, he's, he's very old. He then takes Abram outside and tells him to look up at the stars. Now remember, Abram is not in Huntington Beach. He's not in Orange. He's not in wherever in the city. So when he takes him outside and looks at the sky, imagine the vast number of stars that he sees. He's in the desert. Is, I mean, that's the best place to go and look at the stars is the desert. So as he goes outside and stands outside his tent, and the Lord says, Abraham, Abram, look, look at the stars. Can you count them? The obvious answer is no. No, I can't count them. This was the Lord's promise to Abraham. Your offspring will be like that. Now remember back in chapter 13, he told Abram his family would be numberless like the dust of the earth, like the sands of the desert. Now he reminds him, countless like the stars of the heavens. Think about that for a second. Abraham lives in the desert. God has now reassured Abram about his promise with two images, earth and sky, the sand and the stars. That means wherever he looks now, he will be reminded of God's promise. If he looks down, there's the sand. He will remember, God said my family will be like this. If he looks up, remembers there's the stars. I can't count them. God said my family would be like this. In the daytime or in the nighttime, A symbol of God's promise is ahead of him invisible at all times. That's so beautiful. You see, God doesn't just tell him to believe. No, he gives him reminders. Reminders that will always be in front of him. You see, for us in our times, that reminder is Christ. That reminder is the scriptures right here. Always in front of us. And we don't just have two promises. We have 66 chapters, 66 books full of God's promises 
that have all come true. And so we can wait and we can look and we can see God's faithfulness right in front of us, just like Abraham. And the amazing thing is, being where we are too, thousands of years in the future from this event and having the revelation of Scripture like we have now, we can stand here looking back on Abram and his time and the history of humanity that happened after that and see ultimately that Abram did become many nations. His children truly did become like the stars of heaven and like the sands of the earth. How amazing. Let us trust God, for he always keeps his promises. And so how did Abram respond to this? Well, verse 6 tells us, And he believed the Lord. He trusted the Lord, and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. This is a famous verse that's quoted in the New Testament. He believed. He trusted God. He trusted that what God said would come true. And God counted that to him as righteousness. You see, God didn't count his goodness to him as righteousness. God didn't say, oh, Abraham, you've been good today. You're righteous in my eyes for today because you've been good. No. We know from Scripture that nothing that we do outside of faith is good before God. It's like filthy rags, the Scripture tells us. No. Abraham was called righteous by God because he trusted God. That's it. That's all he did. It doesn't say that Abraham did good things, so God declared him righteous. It doesn't say that he was a good man, so God declared him righteous. He really didn't do that many good things. He gave up his wife to Pharaoh's harem. He lapsed in his faith many times. But you see, that's not where his righteousness was based. No, he believed. Just faith, that's all it takes is faith. But you see, Satan doesn't want us to believe this. He wants you to believe that you need to be good for God to love you. You need to clean yourself up for God to love you. And I, I can prove it. You see, this is the way that Satan works. He's so inconsistent, and yet he's so cunning in the way that he works. You see, before you're a believer, before you trust Christ, Satan tempts you by saying, you know, you're really not that bad. You don't need this stuff. That stuff they're saying, come on, you're... You're better than most people. I mean, I'm sure you'll be fine before God, right? As soon as you trust Christ, as soon as you become a believer, he switches his game on you. You're not good enough. God can't love you. Look how horrible you are. You're the worst person. Look at all the sin that you have. And you see, that proves this. Satan wants you to believe that's based on you. He wants you to believe that that's how it works. Be righteous and God will love you. Be a good little boy, be a good little girl, and God will love you. It's like Santa Claus. It's not God. It's not true. God does everything. Stop looking to yourself for comfort and look out to Christ. He gives us faith. He gives us grace. And he declares us righteous. Salvation is of God, not of us, not of man or woman. Righteousness is from God, not from man. Faith in Christ is all it takes to be declared righteous before God. So the question is, do you trust him? Not are you doing good things. Is your faith and hope in him? See, the answer isn't, you know, we live in a culture today, a therapeutic culture. The answer is go to a therapist. The answer is watch Dr. Phil. The answer is read this self-help book, watch Oprah, you know, do this chanting, whatever, do more yoga. That's not the answer. The answer is Christ. It's true. You know what I'm talking about, right? So true. Just go to Barnes & Noble. Go to Barnes & Noble and look at the Christian book section. Tell me how many of those books are actually written by Christians. No, 
Have your best life now. You can do it. You can be better. It's not Christ. See, true biblical faith looks out to Christ, not in on ourselves. I trust and pray that you will put your faith in him today. A great illustration of this truth is the conversion of a man named Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon is probably the most famous preacher of all time. Um, In fact, he is known as the Prince of Preachers. He ministered to a large church in England during the mid-1800s. And the story of his conversion just illustrates so beautifully the text, the point of this text. Salvation is by grace through faith. Listen to him tell his story. I think he was a teenager at the time of this. I sometimes think I might have been in darkness and despair now had it not been for the goodness of God in sending a snowstorm one Sunday morning when I was going to a place of worship. When I could go no further, I turned down a court and came to a little primitive Methodist chapel. In that chapel, there might have been a dozen or 15 people. The minister did not come that morning. Sound familiar? Snowed up, I suppose. A poor man, a shoemaker, a tailor, or something of that sort, went up into the pulpit to preach. He was obliged to stick to his text, to his text for the simple reason that he had nothing else to say. The text was this, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. He did not even pronounce the words rightly, but that did not matter. There was, there, there I was, oh, I'm sorry, there was, I thought, a glimpse of hope for me in the text. He began this way. My dear friends, this is a very simple text indeed. It says, look. Now that does not take a deal of effort. It ain't lifting your foot or your finger. It is just this, look. Will a man not need to go to college to learn to look? You may be the biggest fool and yet you can look. A man need not be worth a thousand a year to look. Anyone can look. A child can look. But this is what the text says. Then it says this, look unto me. I, he said in a broad Essex accent, many of ye are looking to yourselves. No use looking there. You'll never find comfort in yourselves. Then the good man followed up his text in this way. Look unto me. I am sweating great drops of blood. Look unto me. I am hanging on the cross. Look, I am dead and buried. Look unto me. I rise again. Look unto me, I ascend. I am sitting at the Father's right hand. Oh, look to me. Look to me. When he had got about that length, he had managed to spin out about ten minutes. He was at the length of his tether. He was done. Then he looked at me under the gallery, and I dare say with so few present, he knew me to be a stranger. He then said, young man, you look very miserable. Well, I did. But I had not been accustomed to have remarks made on my personal appearance from the pulpit before. However, it was a good blow struck. He continued, and you will always be miserable. Miserable in life and miserable in death if you do not obey this text. But if you obey now this moment, you will be saved. Then he shouted as only a primitive Methodist can, Young man, look to Jesus Christ. There and then the cloud was gone. The darkness had rolled away and that moment I saw the sun. And I could have risen that moment and sung with the most enthusiastic of them the precious blood of Christ. You see, just like that story, all that is required is faith. Just to look to Christ and be saved. If you can't look, then cry out to God for the power to look. If you can't see, cry out to God for the power to see Christ. 
Pray to God that he would give you faith. I pray that today would be the day of your salvation. The day that Christ is revealed to you and you are counted as righteous. Just as Abram. Believe God. Trust in him and it will be counted to you as righteousness. Let's continue in the text. Actually, uh, before, before we continue, let me explain it a bit first because it gets a little weird for our 21st century minds. Uh, what we're going to witness here next in the text is a ceremony that many people during this time would do when they entered into a covenant. It's a solemn ceremony that signifies that a promise or an oath, a covenant, is being made. Now, a covenant in these times is unbreakable upon the pain of death. A penalty upon breaking a covenant like this is death. That's why there's death involved in the ceremony. There's blood involved. As it will describe, they would cut an animal in half, spread it apart, and then walk through the remains to seal the promise. Peter wouldn't be happy with this, I guess. The Lord is going to cement his promise in a solemn ceremony with Abraham. One quick thing to note, though, normally when the ceremony took place, both parties would walk through the animal's bodies. Notice in the text how only the Lord goes through. This means that the Lord is taking full responsibility for the penalty and for the fulfillment of the oath. Abram is simply a spectator. It's fascinating. Let's read. Genesis 15, 7 says this. And he said to him, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Again, he says, I don't understand. And the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, it's a cow, three years old. Just in case, that's a, some people wouldn't know what a heifer is. I can understand that. Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And so Abram brought him all these things, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half, and when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Now we know from Scripture that darkness and dread like this is a sign of the presence of the Lord. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain. Remember, Abraham asked, How am I to know? God's answering his question. This is how you'll know. Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. Think of the Israelites in Egypt. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they served. And afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. And as for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces, pieces of the animal. Remember, fire pot and smoke, tor- fire and smoke are often the symbols of the Lord. Think of the Israelites leaving Egypt with the cloud of smoke and the pillar of fire. Same thing. This is the presence of the Lord. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, to the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So the covenant has been made. 
That's it. It's set in stone. God says it will come about. The way God went about it even says, if it doesn't come about, I'm to blame. If it doesn't come about, may I be cursed. Now, it's a funny thing to think about, but that's how serious this was. That's how sure the promise is. We see that all he said would come to pass has. The Israelites, that's exactly what happened with the Israelites. But that is still looking at this picture through kind of a magnifying glass, just looking right at this chapter. Let's pull back a little bit and get a big picture view. The most obvious fulfillment of these promises past the small picture view to Abram is the coming of the Messiah, Jesus. You see, these texts were written so that we would know how faithful our God is. The entire Old Testament is the story of how the Messiah is going to come. We've seen that here when God said, Abram, you will have an offspring that will bless the entire earth. This is about Jesus. This is all about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Holy One. And Abram knew this and he believed it. And he believed God. You see, when we believe, God doesn't just declare us righteous. That wouldn't be right. Would you consider someone a good judge if they randomly let criminals go? Not at all. It would actually be an evil judge. But yet, God justifies the ungodly, it says. God declares us righteous. Well, how does this happen? How could God declare us guilty of sin before a holy God righteous and still be a just God? But you see, when Jesus entered into Jerusalem and gave himself over to the authorities to be crucified, this is what he was doing. This is what he was accomplishing. When he suffered on the cross, the wrath of God was upon him. He bled and died. God treated him like we deserve to be treated. He put all of our sins, Scripture says even that Jesus became our sin on the cross, all our punishment, all of God's wrath upon Christ for us in our place, upon the one who was perfect and blameless. Remember, it takes blood to seal the covenant. It takes death. Here is the animal to be sacrificed, the very Son of God, the blameless and perfect Son of God. This is how God can justify us. This is how God can declare us righteous in his sight. Because when you trust Christ, you're connecting yourself to his death. Paul says that when you trust Christ, you've been killed, buried, and raised again with him. He poured his wrath out onto Christ for us. Jesus died. God died. But he didn't stay dead, no. Death couldn't hold him. Sin couldn't claim him. You see, death and sin were slain on the third day when he rose from dead, from the dead, and God accepted his sacrifice. I love the way the Apostle Paul puts it in Colossians. He says that in this act, in the raising of Jesus from the dead, God made a mockery of Satan and the powers of this world. He put them to shame. He put sin and death to shame. This is the good news. This is the gospel. Hear it, believe it, turn from yourself and turn to Jesus and be saved. Stop seeking after comfort and things that won't comfort you. Stop seeking for righteousness in ways that will only lead to more sin. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans. He's talking on our text here in Genesis 15. He says this about Abram. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. 
That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. See, even the New Testament confirms it. This story is for us. He says, like Abraham believed and it was counted to righteous, so will it be for you if you'll place your faith in Christ. If you have placed your faith in Christ, you're righteous before God. You see, it's through, by grace, through faith in Christ that we're saved. It's not about our faith. Abram didn't have a perfect faith. Remember all the horrible things he did? And actually, in chapter 16, it's going to get worse. He lied about Sarah being his wife before. In chapter 16, he actually tries to fulfill God's promises in his own power by sleeping with his servant. He doesn't have a perfect faith. He's not a perfect man. But you know what? That's not the point of the story. He's not the focus of the story. God is. God is perfect. God is merciful. God is faithful. Even when we're faithless. You see, the reason that Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness was not because of the measure or the amount of faith he had. No. Abram's faith was counted him as righteousness because of who he placed his faith in, of who he trusted, namely the Lord, Yahweh, and ultimately Jesus Christ. You see, this is, this is the problem when it comes down to it. We're all standing on someone's righteousness. We're all hoping in someone either ourselves or Jesus. Our righteousness or the righteousness of Christ. You see, the problem with that is, is our righteousness is like filthy rags before God. It's like a pile of garbage before God. And so, trusting yourself is a really foolish plan. Before the judgment seat of God, only absolute perfect righteousness will do. Only absolute perfect righteousness will be good enough. And none of us have that in ourselves. But Jesus does. It's not the size or amount of your faith, but who your faith is in. This is why in the prophet Isaiah, the Lord speaks, mocking the nations who put their faith in idols that they themselves have created. But the truth is, is if you're placing your faith in anything other than Christ, you're placing your faith in something that you've created. Put your faith instead in the Creator God, in Jesus Christ, and He will be your shield and your very great reward. That is the promise. Put your faith in Christ, and He will declare you righteous before Him. He will be your provider. We know this because He provided His Son for us. Praise be to our Lord and Father who gave his son for us as a sacrifice. I pray that you put your faith and trust in him today. Let us pray. Father God, we praise you this morning. We praise you that not only have you established a covenant with Abram, but you've established a covenant with us, Lord, through the blood of Jesus, the new covenant which says that you will be our God and we shall be your people, Lord. Lord, I pray for all those here this morning who know you, who have put their faith in you, who trust you, Lord. I pray that you would make that 
confirm, Lord. I pray that you would make their salvation sure by confirming it to them, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that they would learn to live in light of that, Lord, daily. That we would grow daily, Lord, in our understanding of what it means that we have been declared righteous in your sight and that we don't have to work our way to you, Lord. And Lord, I also pray for those who have put their faith in you, Lord, that Lord, that you would take that faith, Lord, and you would bring good out of it. Not that we would bring our good works before you as a sign of our goodness, Lord, but that out of our faith, you would usher us into the world to do good in your name, Lord, to spread your gospel in your name, to minister to those who are in need in your name, Father. And Lord, I pray for... For anyone here this morning who doesn't know you, Lord, who has not put their faith in you, but is rather trusting in themselves or trusting in some sort of false hope, Lord, I pray that you would make it clear to them that that is a fatal decision, that it will do nothing for them, God. It will not bring them fulfillment, happiness. It will bring them nothing, but in the end, just like we heard in the story today, Misery in life and in death, Lord. And Lord, I pray that you would communicate to those, that your spirit would speak to the heart of those who don't know you, God, that today can be the day of their salvation, Lord. I pray that you would open eyes this morning, God, that you would open hearts this morning to behold your son on the cross on that day, and behold your son risen from the dead, slaying sin and death. Lord, I pray that anyone who has not done so would attach themselves to your power through faith, God. Lord, we thank you. We praise you this morning. God, you have been so good to us. Ever since the beginning, Lord, you have been faithful, never lacking in faithfulness, Lord. God, we delight to serve a God like you who is good and merciful, gentle with us, faithful to us, even when, we are, even when we stumble in our faith, Lord. Thank you for who you are to us, God. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.